All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, we are uh, continuing our discussion of uh, financial loss incurred due to COVID. Who bears the burden of the financial loss, the employer or the employee, um, the owner of the uh, building or the tenant, uh, the parents of the teacher or the, the teacher or the rebbe that is supplying the service, or for that matter, the kindergarten teacher, etc. Okay, so let's just recap very briefly the principles that we saw uh, last week, and please God, now we will try and apply those principles to uh, the COVID era. So the first thing that we learned last week was what is the general uh, approach of the Torah when an honest, an unforeseen uh, <coughs> circumstance arise, ar ar arises that basically cancels the uh, ability for a, uh, an agreement to take place. So we saw the Gemara that basically talked about that. I go to a person, I say to Chaim Shmerel, tomorrow I want you to water my God, my, my, my field. And <coughs> that night it rains. So the next morning I have no re need for Chaim Shmerel to come and water my um, my field, and so the question is, who loses in this case? There's an unforeseen uh, uh, ones, um, and the question is, who who loses? So we saw that when it is in a private capacity between employer and employee, the Gemara rules that the burden, the financial loss, applies to the employee, the worker. And the worker is obligated, you know, he, he lost out. And we can give a, a number of reasons for that. Possibility number one is that we could say that the Torah's approach is kind of a capitalistic approach. You deliver the goods, you get paid. You don't deliver the goods. You know, this is a free market. You deliver the, if you didn't deliver the goods, why should you get paid? Okay. Um, so, yes, it's unfortunate. I'm sorry. But in the end of the day, it's a work for me. Therefore, I don't need to pay you. Again, all things being equal. The Gemara said that if I knew about that, it was going to rain, but the employee didn't. Okay, that's a bad example because everyone is in the same boat about knowing that it's going to rain. You either know, you, you both know that there's a possibility. So in that case, when it's equal knowledge, then there's no reason for the employer to have to pay. So that's one understanding. Another understanding could be uh, based on the words of the Rambam. The Rambam seems to imply, and we saw this already in the Gemara, that you could say, listen, it's the muzzle of the uh, it's the muzzle of the employee that caused him to lose the job. I don't know. He needs to do more mitzvahs in Shemaim, but obviously it's his muzzle that was gorem. So why should I lose out? A third possibility of understanding the reason why the burden of loss falls on the employee and not the employer is based on the words of the Rosh, and that is right? Listen, there's, it's, it's not, not a question of, you know, you to blame or not to blame, but in, in financial, in financial discussions and, and, and disputes, we have our basic principle that if I've got money, right, and it's still in my pocket, and you want to prove that the money belongs to you, 
the burden of proof is on you. And in this case, since you can't prove it, in the end of the day, you didn't do the work. And therefore, and based on that, we could we assume that is possibly the reason why the employee doesn't get paid and the employer does get paid. So three basic answers to that question. But that is all in a private setting. I, we're talking about Ruven and Shimon in a very specific case. What happens if there is a regional disaster? Now, if there's a regional disaster, we saw that what's called in the Gemara, Makat Medina, right? Uh, that if there's a Makat Medina, then all of a sudden the burden goes from the employee all of a sudden to the employer. Now, why is that? According to the way we understood it by the Rambam, that it's a din in his muzzle. Okay, so it's not Shayach to talk about the person's muzzle when it's a regional disaster. It's not because this guy had a problem, you know, that, that he lost his work. Everyone lost work, right? And, uh, and based on that, since it's a regional disaster, you can't claim that it's muzzle. If we go with the logic of Amotzi Mechaveru Alavaraya, slightly difficult. Why would it change? In the end of the day, Amotzi Mechaveru Alavaraya. But nevertheless, whatever the Svara is, we did see that when it comes to a Makat Medina, when it comes to a Makat Medina, the burden falls on the employer and not the employee. Okay. Another important uh, point that we saw regarding a Makat Medina is that although, although in that case, the burden falls on the employer, how much does the employer have to reimburse the employee? And we saw that the Gemara talked about something called a Poel Batel, right? That he basically pays him like an idle worker. What does it mean, a Poel Batel? Basically, it means that in the event that I was hired to go and work for 300 shekels a day. But now someone would offer me to say, listen, how much would you be prepared to take a cut of that 300 shekels a day and be able to, and just sit in your, sitting in the comfort of your house? So the Taz, as we'll see, says, generally, we can assume that that's 50% of the, 50% of the amount. That means that, most people would be happy to accept 150 shekels and sit in the comfort of their home and not, not have to do the work, then actually go out and work and get 300 shekels, but spend the whole day laboring and could be backbreaking uh, labor. And they might, um, and, and, and that's the number that, that the, uh, the Taz says, okay? So assuming it's a Makat Medina, the burden of, of uh, <coughs> The burden of the loss now falls on the employer, but the employer is now obligated to pay not the full amount, but pretty much 50%. Okay, so far, that's what we've seen uh, last week. We also got into a bit of a discussion regarding how far or what are the parameters of a Makat Medina, because the Gemara's example was regarding working on a field and the field, you know, the crop got, uh, got wind blasted or a plague of uh, um, <coughs> grasshoppers came and just wiped it all out. 
what would happen regarding rentals or other things, services that cannot be uh, done due to the din of Makat Medina? Question number one. Question number two. The Gemara was talking about a regional disaster that seemed to be a natural disaster. Call it a God, godly intervention. What would happen if we're not talking about a godly invent, uh, intervention, but we're talking about a law passed by the government? There's a seger, you cannot open up your, uh, your shops. And that's not a godly intervention. That's uh, the government deciding to, to create a lockdown. So we already saw last week that the Rishonim, starting with the truth of the Yerim, says explicitly that Makat Medina is not dependent on whether it is a godly natural disaster, but even if it is a man-made disaster, that could still be considered a Makat Medina. Okay, so that's going to be very important, obviously, in the COVID era. Any man-made disaster is still considered a Makat Medina. Regarding the second issue, when we said regarding the fields, it was quite clear that you only have to have the majority of the fields in the area to be windblasted in order to define it as a Makat Medina. What would be regarding rentals? Right? Would the same halacha apply that you only need a... Um, you only need a, uh, sorry, you only need the majority and not the entire amount. So we saw that this is actually a machloket between the Maram Padua and the Shach. The Maram Padua, uh, in his uh, in his Truva in Siman Pei Vav, he uses the word of Hakol. He was describing a, a case of the following scenario that basically there was a Magefa, there was a pandemic, an epidemic in the town, and the Talmud with his parents uh, left the town uh, due to the, 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 the worry. They were scared of the epidemic, and the Malamud wanted to get paid, and the parents of the Talmud said, we don't, we're not paying because you're not teaching our son anymore. Right? Obviously, there was no Zoom uh, in the times of the, the Maram Padua in, in, in Venice. That's where the Shaila was. So now, um, the Maram Padua answers and he says, uh, this isn't considered a Makat Medina. And the reason why it's not considered a Makat Medina, in the, the first line of his Shuvah, he says, Ma hakol barhumi Venezia. Did everyone run away from Venice, right? And then the next line he says, "Rak mute mute Only a minority of a minority, um, a minority of a minority fled the town. Now, I'm not sure why everyone is Madaic in the Maram Padua, but it seems to be, and this is the shach that we saw last week, that according to the Maram Padua, basically for regarding this case of services rendered. It's only considered a Makat Medina when everyone fled the town. Right? But if it was just the majority, then that wouldn't be considered a Makat Medina. Um, again, I'm not exactly under, I, I, looked, the, I looked in the Truva because something wasn't making sense when I was trying to read all the acronym about it. Um, and and the, I'm not sure why everyone is Medayek 
again, I tell that obviously to uh, the Shach and others, and maybe I'm misreading it, but uh, the Shach seems to be Medayek from the first line of the Maram Padua, who said, what, Hakol Baruchu, did everyone, uh, everyone leave it? He said, only a mute, a mute left, only a minority of a minority. So if you are Medayek from the first line of the Maram Padua, you would think that he's saying, yeah, you have to be have you have to have the entire town fleeing in order for there to be a problem of the uh, to be considered a makat medina, um, and that's how the shach understands the maran padwa. I'm just saying that perhaps that first line he wasn't he wasn't being uh, well, let let's call it in the Gemara lavdafka. He, when he said that line, he wasn't saying that. Look at the end of his, the second line. He said, Rak mute, mute Only a minority of the people ran away. So from that line, one could say, but if it was a majority, then the, then the, um, then the Maram Padua would agree. So I'm, I'm not sure why, again, the poskim seemed to explain that the, Maram Padwa understood regarding this payment of services, it's only considered a Makat Medina if everyone fled. Okay, but that's how they understand him, and that's obviously how we're going to understand the Machloket. But the Shach argues, the Shach says it doesn't have to be everyone, it can even be the majority of people, and that would still be considered a Makat Medina. Okay, now this argument between the Maram Padwa and the Shach could be a very, very um, practical halachic ramification. And I'll give you an example. Let's say a few years ago when they were shooting rockets in the north and the majority of companies shut down because um, you know, they were shooting rockets. But there were certain companies, I think Intel stayed open, etc., cetera, uh, uh, specifically. And there were certain companies that decided to stay open. Now, the question now is, are the companies that shut down, are they obligated to pay their workers? One could argue, well, this is a Makat Medina. I mean, this is properly a Makat Medina because of the war. You know, all the businesses were shut down. Surely the companies are obligated to pay their employees because it's a Makat Medina. And therefore, the employer has to bear the burden of the loss. However, if you go with the definition of the Maram Padua, that it's only considered a Makat Medina if everyone shut down, but if half the company shut down and half the company stayed open, right, or even a minority stayed open, it's not so clear that it could be considered a Makat Medina according to the Maram Padua. Again, according to the Shach, it's considered a Makat Medina because according to the Shach, you just need a majority. But according to the Maram Padua, it's not so clear. Okay, let's just uh, leave that as a as a point of discussion that I've seen in the in the poskim that brought this machloket between the Maram Padua and the Shach regarding that specific scenario. Um, there's another point of of discussion that the Ksot uh, brought, and the Ksot brought a chiluk. Well, actually, let, let's read the Nativot Mishpat. The Nativot Mishpat has a very uh, interesting chiluk because the Ramah Paskin regarding this Malamud, 
right? That the teacher was, uh, he was hired to teach Torah. And, you know, the people fled the town. And because he fled the town, so the question is, does he, do the parents still have to pay the Malamed his salary? Or do we say, and that would be based on a Makat Medina. Or do we say, no, this isn't a Makat Medina. Uh, Makat Medina, A, could, doesn't apply to services, question number one. And not everybody left. And says, and the Ramah Paskand, based on the Mordechai, that basically it is considered a Makat Medina. And the, uh, the, the let's read it. Lachay nire. Right? In this case, the Rav, referring to the Ramah, Paskins, that like the Mordechai, that you pay, you have to pay him his salary. Now, what he's saying is the, the, the regarding the Ramah agrees that going forward, right, no one can force the other. That means that there's, there's a question about the nine months that they weren't able to be paid. And now there's a question going forward. And the reason of the Mordechai is the right, because the employer is paid to teach her where the decree was made from the Moshel that they weren't allowed to teach Torah anymore. Nira de Svirile. Now the Nativot says, listen, don't start making parallels to every industry from this case of the Malamed, where we say, top, there's Makat Medina, Malamed gets his money. Says the Nativot Amishpat, it's different. The Malamed is not necessarily similar to the tourist industry or any other, or even a science teacher. And he explains why. The Svirile Kavan the Malamed Asulitol Schar Limud Rak Schar Shimur. Meikar Adin, person is not allowed to get paid to teach Torah, to teach Gomorrah. So this Rebbe was being paid to teach Gomorrah. But so how does that work? Meikar Adin is not allowed to get paid. So what's the answer? The answer is that basically we pay the Gomorrah teacher not for teaching Gomorrah, but what? For being a glorified babysitter. So that the kids don't go crazy. It happens to be that how's he going to fill the time? He's going to teach them Gemara. But Me'ikaradin, he cannot get paid for teaching Gemara. Now, the Zohar, whoever it was, decreed that this Malamed can't teach Torah. Okay. But he wasn't getting paid for teaching Torah, says the Nativot Mishpat. What was he getting paid to do? To be a babysitter. That he can still do. That he can still do. So therefore, why shouldn't he get his salary? The Gzerata Moshel Eino Ones says, says the Nativot Mishpat, this is not considered an unforeseen honest uh, circumstance. Alashimur, Rakalalimud. The Zohar only said that he cannot teach Torah, but he can still look after the kids. There was no honest on what he hired him to do. He hired him to be a glorified babysitter. So that's a very, very interesting take of the Nitzvot Mishpat, which basically says, don't build any paradigms based on the story of the Truva of the Mordechai and the Ramah regarding 
the Malamed because we can't compare it to anything else. Very interesting take, but uh, I see most people, most POSCIM didn't seem to, to follow that uh, logic and pretty much they did extend it to all types of, uh, all types of services, um, etc. Okay, let's move on to practical applications regarding COVID. But before we move on to practical applications regarding COVID, we need to make certain disclaimers. And that is that, again, once dealing with Choshen Mishpat, every single case is going to be different and lots of details could change the PSAC completely. I'll give you an example. I'll just give you an example of, of one of a few machlokot between the Achronim. There was the Marshach that was asked regarding a person who, who rented a, a building to sell things to the Cossacks. Okay, you know, it was a busy street and, and apparently that was a thoroughfare in this town. The Cossacks used to come through there. And then, you know, the Russians or whoever it was, the Tsar decreed that the Cossacks couldn't go through. So, Lichora says the Marshach, this is a Makat Medina. Makat Medina, the guy was renting it. You know, his whole business model fell apart. And the Machne Ephraim says, why is that considered Makat Medina? Surely he could have found other, other uh, um, clients to sell his things to, right? And therefore, if you can find another way, an alternative way of making money, even though it's going to uh, uh, go to require a lot more effort, that is not considered a Makat Medina. So where do you draw the line over here? I'll give you an example, right? Do we say that the restaurants that are closed in COVID, but they theoretically could still have takeaways. So they could change their model of business and instead of serving you know, sit-downs, they could serve takeaways. And since they could serve takeaways, maybe that's not considered Makat Medina, right? Again, assuming there's no seger or whatever it is. But if there is a seger, okay, so they, they, they can't do anything. So that might be a difference between if they can serve takeaways, we might not define it as a Makat Medina and they'd have to pay the rent. But if they can't serve takeaways, then that might be considered Makat Medina and they won't have to pay the rent. And how far do you take it that you expect a, uh, you expect a business to change its entire business model? Is, is that fair? Is that plausible? Is that a realistic, uh, something realistic in the modern world? It's not so simple to, to overnight change your, your business model. I saw that, you know, certain airlines were changing from their, from passengers to becoming, uh, delivering mail, right? And delivering uh, packages. But the point is, is that you can't just change overnight or, Certain certain businesses you can't change, and therefore that might be considered makat medina. But I want to just highlight that the, we have to define what is considered a attainable uh, something that you could have still made money in a realistic manner. In which case you might, according to the machane frame, not consider this a makat medina, or not. Okay, so we already have a, uh, a, that question. The, the next question that, uh, that we're going to, just to, to put the framework, the Maharil says 
that all of the context of Makat Medina was dealing with karka, with land. And therefore he holds that if you hire a metaltalin, you cannot, uh, you cannot renege on the agreement of the, of the, of hiring. For example, let's say I hire a car because I'm about to take my family up to the Golan. And then the next day, the government decides that it's a lockdown, which means there's pretty much nothing I can, you know, there's no reason. I don't need a, I don't need an eight-seater car to go to the Makolet. Or what am I going to do with it, right? So according to the Maril, the Maril says no. First of all, still use your, you could still use it for other, you know, to go to the Makolet. But second of all, he says that the din of Makat Medina doesn't apply to Metaltalin. And therefore, um, you would still have to pay the full amount of the metaltalin in that case. Okay, so there, there are many, many uh, uh, sugyas and there are many, many details that we're not going to cover. But let's let's jump into the truvas already and see how the uh, poskim uh, discuss this issue. So the first issue is cancelled guns, nurseries, and playgroups. Regarding this issue. So here you have uh, Ravosha Weiss discussing this issue, and he says like this, kulo. Many people asking, So the government closed down the kindergartens, whether they are government kindergartens or private kindergartens, it became illegal to run these kindergartens. And now the kindergarten teacher obviously doesn't have what to do. <coughs> do the parents of the kindergarten have to continue paying the fees? So he says as follows. Regarding this halacha, this is a machloket between the rama and the sma. Uledata sma. There isn't a real distinction between Makat Medina and other Onsin. And regarding this, the worker is always going to lose the money. So based on this, especially when we're not talking about uh, we're not talking about land. We're talking about other issues, services over here. According to the smart, this is the regular din of onsen. And the regular din of onsen, we said, unforeseen circumstances, the employee loses. According to the Ramah, no. This would apply the principle of Makat Medina, and therefore the burden of the loss falls on the employer, or in this case, the parents. So says says the... Um, what do you do when you have a, such a machloket? And the Khatam Sofer, honing in on this machloket, paskant regarding this case, kava shekevan that based on this, since it's a machloket, you have to compromise. And therefore, omnam, okay. So, so what does a compromise mean? You would think, according to the Sma, the employee gets zero. According to the Ramah, the employee would get 100% of the salary. Compromise, the employee should get 50% of the salary. However, it's not true because 
Remember the Ramah Paskin that regarding Makat Medina, even if the burden falls on the employer, he only has to pay Kapoel Batel as an idle laborer, not the full salary. And what is the definition of that amount? So the Taz says that's 50%, which means that the machloket between the Smai and the Ramah is as follows. According to the Ramah, the employee should get 50% of their salary, the kindergarten teacher. And according to the SMA, the employee, the kindergarten teacher gets zero. So if you're going to make a compromise between the Ramah and the SMA, how much should the parents have to pay? Not 50%, but 25%. Explains Rav Osha Weiss. Omnam, however, even according to the Ramah, who says that the burden is on the balabait on the parents, he only has to pay like an idle laborer. And how much is that? 50% of the salary. So, based on this, you would assume that if we we're going to follow the psak of the the parents would have to pay the, the uh, kindergarten teachers 25% of their salary. But then Rav Oshavais says he doesn't think that this is uh, this makes sense. So I'll just read it over. According to the Cheshbon that we just did, let's follow the Khatam Sofer. We'll go halfway. 25% of the salary should be paid to the kindergarten teacher. However, then the, uh, then the Rav Osha Weiss, Min Chatasher, says it's not true. And the reason why it's not true is that that mathematical equation is incorrect for the following, uh, for the following reason. I'll say it outside, then we'll read it inside. It is true that if a person says, you know, if my boss says to me, listen, Theron, I don't want you to, you know, how much, I'll give you a, a week that you don't need to come into the uh, come into the office. How much would you be prepared to take a cut in your salary? A week, I don't need to go into the office. I don't need to work. Paid leave, I'm prepared to go 50%. That's what the Taz says. Now, what if my boss says to me, you know what? Don't do it for a week, do it for a month, right? Would I still be prepared to say, yeah, I'm happy to get 50% of my salary? One if it wasn't a month, it was three months. At some point, when it becomes an extended point of, uh, 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 period of time, the, the worker is not prepared to only get 50% of his salary. He would prefer to go and work and get the full salary. So when you're dealing with a short period, you could say, the amount that the Ramah was saying that the burden is on the employer is 50%. But when it's an extended six months, nine months, a year, most employees are not prepared to be satisfied and say, you know what, I'll get 50% of my salary as long as I don't need to go into the office. They'll say, no, I need, I need 80, 90% of my, of my salary, right? So based on that, Says Rav Oshavites, if you want to make a compromise between the Ramah and the Sma, it's not between 50% and zero, and your conclusion is 25%, but it's more something between 80% and zero. 
which means your compromise is going to be closer to 40% or 45%. And that's how the Rav Osha Weiss rules. That basically, according to the Ramah, the employee has to get fully paid. Almost, almost, okay, 90, whatever you want to call it, 90% of the, the salary. And according to the SMA zero, so if you want to go make a compromise between the Ramah and the SMA, it's close to 50%. And that is how Rav Osher Weiss uh, Paskins, that's also how uh, the Beit Avad of the Beit Avad of the of the Lakewood uh, um, based in Paskins, so a very, very similar uh, discussion. Now, Rav Osher Weiss continues, what happens if the lockdown is taken away, and now all the children are permitted to go back to the school. Okay, great. But you have some parents that are worried about sending their kids back to school. Do they have to pay now full amount? Or can they say, look, I'm, you know, I'm not sending my, my kid, and because of that, um, I shouldn't have to pay full full salary. So says, says uh the uh, Rav Osha Weiss, he says, look, the fact that the government are opening up doesn't mean that it's not a Makat Medina. There is still a concern about Corona, unfortunately, probably more than ever, right? And based on that, the fact that these parents are worried about sending their, their kids to school, it's not, it's not crazy. And because it's not crazy, he says like this, Umishum came. So those parents that send their kids, obviously they have to pay fully. However, those parents that are worried and don't send, and therefore they don't have to pay the full amount. How much do they have to pay? Pretty much 45% or 50% of the salary to the um to the ganene to the kindergarten teacher okay what would be the din up until now we're talking about playgroups kindergarten teachers etc with this halacha and and the conclusion is that in the event that even in the event that no services are being given to the children the parents would still have to pay 45 to 50 percent because of the din of makat medina etc is there any reason to say that when we're dealing with a primary school and high school, the halacha should change? What, or do we say, no, it's exactly the same. I only have to pay 45% um, of, the, of the tuition fees and shalom al-Yisrael. Now, again, it's not, so, it's not such a good uh, example because most schools, you know, in the, in the primary schools, high schools are giving, are still teaching. So it's, it's, it's almost, a, it's a non-starter non question because the teachers are still teaching. So obviously they have to get paid if they still, uh, um, uh, you know, supplying the services. You know, they could be teaching even harder. Um, but, but let's assume, let's assume that the case is, 
is that the the teachers are not teaching okay there's no zoom there's no internet i don't know everything got shut down do the parents still have to pay and if they do have to pay do we say they have to pay 45 percent or do they have to pay more is there room to say that maybe for primary schools and high schools there is a reason to pay more than what we said to the kindergarten teacher which was basically between 45 and 50 percent and here Rav David Grossman uh, of the Beit Savad he says that there is a difference and he mentions a few we'll just read a few and the first is is that there is such a thing called Takanat Rabbi Yeshua Ben Gamla and we know that uh, you know probably in Chutzlaret uh, sorry, in the middle, in the in the Western world, I'm not sure when uh, kids it became uh, compulsory for children to go to school. I think it's only like the last hundred years. Um, but in uh, in the Jewish world, we already know that Chazal instituted a takana over two thousand years old that every community has to create a school that the children can go and be educated. And if you don't have that school, institution the community is a miss in their obligation now based on this the question is like this if you decide to cut salaries let's say 45 percent if the tuition is 45 percent and that would cause the institution to become not financially viable anymore and basically close down as opposed to the kindergarten teacher, there the question is, okay, it's a, a specific, you know, what is my responsibility to this teacher? Here there's an added dimension that you as part of the tzibur are responsible for looking after the communal institution called the school. And if that communal institution called the school is going to fall apart, perhaps you have a greater responsibility even greater than the 45% or 50% that we mentioned uh, that we mentioned previously. That's point number one. Point number two uh, is that when it comes to schools, people are in a system. You know, you've got a grade one, grade two, grade three. So the parents have a vested interest that when COVID ends, their children will be able to go to the next class and the school will still be around. And since they have this interest, right? So, so they, it's now not from a halachic uh, kind of obligation, but you as an obligation, as part of, call it a partner in this institution, have an obligation to make sure that it uh, remains financially viable. Okay, those are a few points where the, uh, the poskim discuss the distinction between perhaps a school versus a kindergarten group for example uh, let's continue let's continue with uh, with and i want to mention perhaps over here it's good to mention the uh, the tshuva of rav of rav shechta rav shechta, rav shechta brings a third uh, svara that we haven't mentioned regarding a school and here says rav shechta shamati now, I'm not sure if he's talking about uh, 
yeshiva katana or yeshiva gedola. I don't think it really makes a difference. He says like this: Shamati sheyesh min aurim shekvar tavu mei yeshivot sheyachziru lehem et mei schar alimud. The parents have said, "Listen, you got to you got to return to us the money that we paid up front." Shekvar shilmu avu kol hashavuot. Change your in yeshivot. There haven't been she. Shiurim, why you know why have you taken our money? Give it back. We need a refund. Says Rav Shechta, "Davar zeloitachen." This cannot be. Then a yeshivot yecholot leshalem maskorit tamelamdim kait. Since the yeshivas already are in financial burden that they can't pay the teachers, they only must pick safim. They don't have enough money. <coughs> Sorry, I lost the place. One second. Here we go. Sorry. Um how can you obligate the schools that can't pay salaries to return money that they don't have? Basically, the yeshivas are all going to shut down. In such a case, everyone will lose. And a person has an obligation to support all of these institutions of Torah, that when the epidemic, the pandemic uh, finishes, now what exactly is the argument of Rav Shechta over here? He's saying that the, 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 the institutions are going to fall apart. And I think it's based on on, on, <clears throat> on what we've been saying, but, but it's, it's, it's more than that. He's saying that we have a responsibility to make sure that there's financial viability for Mosdota Torah, for Torah institutions, as opposed to, for example, a kindergarten group. And so, therefore, we have to ensure as a community that we have Torah institutions and that they are considered financially viable and we'll be able to continue teaching Torah after the Magefa as usual. And if we don't pay salaries and we don't pay our teachers, etc., then basically we're not going to have any of these institutions left. So that's a very different argument that we've seen um, to the kindergarten, uh, not necessarily based on the Takana of Rav, uh, um, <clears throat> Yeshua ben Gamla, because if we're talking about the Takana of Rabbi Yeshua ben Gamla, that might apply to a primary school. But I think Rav Shechter is talking about all Torah institutions, even, you know, whatever it is, Yeshiva Gedola. Because in the end of the day, he holds that we have a responsibility for the continuation of Torah institutions. Not mitzad the Takana of Rabbi Yeshua ben Gamla, but mitzad, we have an obligation that the Torah should be continued to be learned. So I think that's a third argument that Rav Shechter points out. And I wanted to just mention a, another tshuva of, of Rav Shechter. Um, 
Okay, you know what? We'll, we'll we'll leave the uh, we'll leave the 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 truva Rav Shechter till the end. But basically, now the question is regarding rentals. So what about rentals? So here says Rav Yeshua Erotbi, the Matzava Corona ain't din Makat Medina b'schirut batim. There's no such thing as Makat Medina regarding rentals of houses. Why? Because in the end of the day, people still need to live in houses, and therefore, you know, no one the 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 the, the rental business shouldn't have been affected. Where's it shayach? But simarim or batei malon. Regarding simarim and batei malon, that is when you could argue there is a din of makat medina. I ordered, I ordered a, 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 a room in a hotel, and because of the magaifa and the lockdown, I can no longer go to the hotel with my family. This is considered a makat medina, and because it's a makat medina, so therefore the renter over here doesn't have to pay. I just want to go back to um, <clears throat> the machloket between the Maram Padua and uh, the Maram Padua and, uh, and the Ramah. The Maram Padua understood that when we say there's a din of Makat Medina, what does that mean? That means, remember, the case in the Gemara was regarding the flood came and, and destroyed the crop. We're talking about something in the past. So says the, the Maram Padua, the din of Makat Medina, that the employee has to, has to uh, reimburse the employee, the employer has to reimburse the employee, etc., is only regarding past business. It's not regarding the future. What can you do about regarding the future? According to the Maram Padua, this is a din of Chazara, that basically we had an agreement. So let's say you have a rental agreement, okay? And the rental agreement was that I was going to, uh, I was going to rent the the house from you for two years. And now five months into the uh, <clears throat> into the agreement, there's Makat Medina. Says the Maram Padua, regarding Makat Medina, even if you say that the renter doesn't have to pay, that's only or you know whatever it is. That's only regarding the past. Regarding the future, the renter or the, or the owner have the ability to basically tear up the document and say, look, this is a new situation. And because it's a new situation, it's considered a mekach taut. Now, the, original, the original agreement was written for certain understanding, that understanding no longer exists. Therefore, this is considered a mekach ta'ut. And because it's a mekach ta'ut, basically, no one is obligated to continue in the heskem, in the agreement. What happens if the renter says, no, I'm happy to continue in the agreement, but I don't want to pay, I don't want to pay the rent, or I want the subsidized rent. According to the Maram Padua, no. If he continues, Knowing that there is a magaifa, 
that is now not no longer mekach ta'ut, and therefore the renter would have to pay the full amount. Says the Ramah, that's not true. When we're talking about a makat medina, it's not only regarding the past, but it also is regarding the future, i.e. we two and a half, we, the, 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 um, the contract was for two years. We've only passed five months. We still got a year and a half. According to the Ramah, even regarding the year and a half going, through, uh, going forward, the renter doesn't have to pay or he has to pay a very subsidized amount. It doesn't mean that they have to tear up the agreement and they can tear up the agreement. According to the Maram Padua, they can both tear up the agreement and if they don't tear up the agreement, the renter has to pay fully. According to the Ramah, no, they don't have to tear up the agreement and the renter can still get the subsidy, okay? So based on this, we paskin like the Ramah. We don't paskin like the Maram Padua. And therefore, basically, we're also talking about future, future cases. You know, I, I haven't gone to the hotel yet. But according to this, the Ramah says I should still be able to get my money back. And uh, regarding the Malon, regarding the hotel, etc. And this is the Socher would be patur from, from paying. Ravosha Weiss was discussing something slightly different. And the difference is like this. We're talking about, let's say there's a neighborhood in Yerushalayim. And the majority of the people that rent are young couples from Chutzlaretz. They come to Yerushalayim. They le they're learning in the mirror where whichever yeshiva it is. And they rent houses. Now, when the pandemic broke out, majority of these couples flew home to back to the States. Right, so now Rav Asher Weiss was also following Shaila. Achlafi Mashen Emarli Rova Mishpachot Atzirot Mibnei Chutzlaritz Azvu Et Aritz Vechazru Laatzot Motzehem Ubiprat Beshchunot Mesuyamot. Right, VeYesh LaAyin Aim Yesh LaDunalem Bifnei Atzmam. Perhaps this community or this neighborhood should be dealt with by itself. He can have a Kamatkat Medina. It's considered Makat Medina. And therefore, although we said beforehand that, you know, rentals, people still need to live in houses and therefore there's no Makat Medina. But perhaps in this case, it is considered a Makat Medina and the renter doesn't have to pay. Says Rav Since we're talking about a specific uh, neighborhood, and they're considered like a, a, a bubbled kind of they're basically they've got a din of Makat Medina. I just want to end off with the uh, <clears throat> with the chuva of Rav Shechta because I think it gives a, a very nice uh, um, definition of of how to view all of this uh, all of these cases. The Rav Shechter was dealing with the people that are paying, uh, paid for a you know Pesach, uh, a Pesach tour, and obviously because of the pandemic, now they want their money back. So Rav Shechter says, look, the people that were running the Pesach tours had already invested a lot of time and work and paid money for certain things, right? So he makes a distinction between revach, right, profit, and basically covering costs. And, if, and he says, you know, regarding covering costs, you know, you definitely need to pay that. 
Uh, but then he says something else. He says, look, Hebra, you know, Nachon, we said in terms of, you know, you could discuss who's obligated, who's not obligated, employer, employee, Makat, Medina, etc. But then he says, and I think this is a very important thing to end off this share with. The Gimel Simanim Yesh Ba'umazot. The Gemara says in Yevamot Aintet that the nation of Israel has three traits, Rachmanim, Baishanim, Gomlei Chasanim, right? That they have, they are merciful and they go and, and basically they are um, compassionate people and they are sensitive. So based on this, we know that a person who doesn't have these traits or might not be Jewish. When it comes to Ben Adam Lechavero, you have to go beyond the letter of the law. As the Gemara says, And therefore, says Rav Shechter, listen guys, you're right, maybe you don't have to pay Makat Medina, etc., etc. But if you can pay, you should pay. These people are struggling. They're losing all their business. If you can uh, afford to do it, you should pay them. And then he says something else. Interesting. The um, Rav Shechda seems to imply that you can, you know, these people are your Baalei Chov. Let's say, let's say they owe you a refund, okay? Um, and we said, according to Makat Medina, you should get a refund. However, they don't, they don't have money to pay the refund. So they are Baal Chov. They owe you money. Says Rav Shechta, it's worthwhile fulfilling the mitzvah of tzedakah and being mevater on one's Chov and consider it tzedakah. Which I think is a big, big chidush. And uh, a very, uh, it's just a very important way of looking at things. Basically, Rav Shechta says, don't forget that besides for the din of Makat Medina and Ones, there is a din of Lifnim Mishrat Adin. And if people can afford to pay the service providers, even though they're not getting, uh, they're not giving the, the, the services, they should be, you should be paying. Again, obviously, people that don't can't afford it, that they can't put bread on the table, you're not asked to go din before you can feed your kids. But where you are able to go din, vadai, and you know, certain people made lots of money during COVID. Um, so they have an added responsibility to to take on take on all of these uh, needs of the tibur, and basically, people that can still pay should. Uh, should pay not only as a chiyuv but lifnim mishratadin. Okay, so we'll end off the the shir with that, and bezrat uh, Hashem next week we'll discuss um, the responsibility and liabilities for spreading COVID. Bezrat Hashem. Okay. Yeshakach everybody. Yeshakach. Question: Are we going to be discussing Purim in? relationship to uh, uh yes you know what let's do after next week then it will be other and then we'll discuss uh purim okay okay call to